0: the Lord be with you and with your spirit a reading from the conclusion of the holy gospel according to Luke Jesus said to his disciples thus it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins would be preached in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem you are witnesses of these things and behold I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Then he led them out as far as Bethany, raised his hands and blessed them. As he blessed them, he parted from them and was taken up to heaven. They did him homage and then returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and they were continually in the temple praising God. The Gospel of the Lord. as we celebrate the Ascension, I realized that over the last five years of, of preaching officially and publicly in the church, that I have avoided saying anything about climbing on the Ascension on purpose, because it was just so obvious, but then I just couldn't help myself this time. So eventually we'll get to a little, a little climbing-related portion, but, in um, one of the reasons that I say that though is because I really feel as though each one of our lives is is a mountain, an individual one, right? And many of the famous spiritual writers allude to that in a way, whether it's a seven-story mountain or an interior castle or some sort of ascent to God. So many, many of the spiritual masters and doctors of the church have used sort of that that imagery, so it definitely speaks to me in in many ways. But each individual mountain of our life, it's a different one, right? We don't know how long it's going to last, first of all, And we don't exactly know the obstacles or the difficulty along the route of that mountain. But it's there. It's something to ascend for each one of us. And we live in a very unbelievably unique time in history. This time between when Jesus is resurrected and has ascended into heaven and the time where we wait for him to come again. That's an extremely unique point during history. Sometimes I think there's a temptation to think, oh man, wouldn't it have been great to you know be around when jesus was walking and talking with people sure in some in some regards that may have that was only a few years though you know that he was really out there publicly with people and so i think the time that we live is an extremely unique one because during this time frame we've been given two well really three very unique gifts but i'll start with two of them the gift of the eucharist and then the gift of the holy spirit those two unbelievable gifts in our life are the thing that orient us in the journey. And so before Jesus ascends, right, you know, he makes himself known in the breaking of the bread before he dies and then again after he has risen and he's meeting with apostles. And so that's one of the ways that we're oriented towards him in our life. And then the other one is to be guided by the gift of the Holy Spirit, which we'll celebrate next weekend at Pentecost. Two extremely important gifts that have been given to us in this time until we wait to see him again. Now, um, when I, the biggest part about this and I've mentioned this a lot, but I think it's super, super important. When somebody enters formation in the seminary, that's the word that we use for it. We use formation. And so now that I've I've started doing my, my new job as a vocations director, I've already been working with different men, right? So to be formed, what needs to happen? You have to be docile people. What does that mean? To be truly, to be teachable people. To be teachable, formable, moldable people. Our whole life long. Does it get harder as you get older? Yes, it does. But the Lord will just use different tools, right? When we're young, we might be moldable like clay or Play-Doh. And it's like, oh, no problem. I could really make this into the image that I'm looking for. When we get older, it might take a chisel and some heavy grit sandpaper to sand those rough edges down. But the Lord will use what he needs to to acquire that, right? And so we might feel the pain of changing, being formed. When I was coaching competitive climbing, the other way that we referred to that is being coachable to be a coachable athlete. And that's an amazing gift. When you're a a coach and you meet a coachable athlete, you're just like, this person is amazing. They listen to what I say, they do all these, they improve and they see the improvement. And you get really excited about seeing their progress, as excited as they get about seeing their progress. And that feeds off of each other. That growth can feed off of each other in an amazing, amazing way. But when you teach climbing, one of the most important things that you actually teach is how to fall. Everybody's least favorite part of the sport of climbing is learning how to fall. Also, everybody's least favorite part of life is learning how to fall and pick oneself back up again. And so on one particular occasion, I'll never, I'll never forget this particular time. So there's a part of competitive climbing that's called sport climbing. So in sport climbing, what happens is that the rope starts out on the ground. So the rope is on the ground. One end of the rope is attached to the person at the waist by a harness. And then at the other end of the rope is the belayer. They're the one who's holding you while you're climbing up on the route, just in case you fall. You can think of the belayer as like the Holy Spirit, the advocate, right? They are the one that has got you. You know, they're the ones holding on and waiting for you and also guiding you along the route sometimes because they can see from a different vantage point. And then what happens is there are bolts in the wall or in the rock, actually, as you progress up the route in different intervals. Sometimes these intervals are kind of small. Sometimes they're great, great intervals and can be quite terrifying. And so as you make your progress up the wall, the climber clips in and then they climb up to the next point of protection. And every time they hit a bolt, they clip into that bolt. Now, the most terrifying part of this experience is when you get to the next bolt, but you're like, oh, this is awful. You're shaking so much, but you can't let go to pick up the rope and clip in. So now you're at the next point of protection. It's staring you right in the face, but you're not strong enough to like, let go of the wall to grab the rope. That means that your fall is going to be about as big as it, it can be. So you think the distance between those bolts. So you double that. And then there is rope stretch, and the rope stretches on purpose so that all of that energy is not transmitted to your body, right? So if the bolts are five feet apart, yeah, you take a 10-plus foot fall. But sometimes you can take a 20-foot fall, a 30-foot fall, 50-plus foot falls. I still remember the first, we call them whippers for, you know, in the, in the climbing. We, we say it's a whipper. That's just kind of how it feels when you fall that far. And uh, the, I can remember the first time I fell over 40 feet. And talk about, like, feeling the, the, the comfort of your maker in that moment. I was just like, fear of God was instilled at me at the very base level of my, my existence. And so what we would do is you'd have a climber climb all the way to the top of the wall. But they wouldn't clip the second to last bolt. There's anchors you also clip in, too. So they would not clip in the anchors. And they would grab the top of the wall. And then they would have to let go. And we generally would just have them count to five and let go. Generally speaking, you know, you see all the older climbers doing this, so you have some confidence that it, sh- it could be done, and everybody's modeling that for you. One particular day, I had a climber, and she got up to the top of the wall, and that counting to five sounded more like this. One, two, three, four. No, I can't do it, I can't do it, I can't do it. This went on for... 10 minutes she hung on to the top of the wall i couldn't believe i was just like where did this amazing burst of endurance come from in your forearms but she held on for 10 minutes on the top of the wall repeatedly trying to count to five to to let go we have got to let go the holy spirit has got you that is what the holy spirit is like in our lives we have got to learn to let go if we fall, and it is absolutely inevitable, there's another sacrament that brings us back into the peace of Christ, the sacrament of reconciliation. That's one of the things that Jesus is impressing upon his people. He's right. He comes out and he he preaches a gospel of repentance, right? He says to ask for forgiveness for your sins and come back into the company of God. So who knows what the route is going to bring? Who knows how many times you're going to get On the brink of a scary fall and then not fall, but then sometimes take a huge fall. Sometimes falls that are so scary that they take a while to recover from. You know, one of the things that's so difficult for us in our life of sin sometimes is that some of the things that we do, even though they're completely forgiven by God, totally absolved, the consequence of those might actually reside with us. To a certain extent right it sits with us and it still bothers us even if the lord has forgiven those things that's like taking one of the big falls you 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 just sort of climb slightly more tentatively after that because it's in the back of your head and that's exactly what the devil would want to happen right he wants you to think like oh any moment now any moment you could get yanked right off of that wall right so he tempts us with that but the thing that we often forget about is that tether that rope between us and the holy spirit that has truly got us and that's a tether of trust last week when i preached i unorthodox (laughs) wise just read a novena to you i read the surrender novena to you right because that's how important our surrender into the arms of the holy spirit into the arms of god really is that's exactly what jesus is doing in the ascension he needs to be In the arms of god he needs to be in his rightful heavenly homeland but that's where we belong as well one thing that's important to always remember is that of course jesus ascends of his own divine power because he has the ability to actually ascend to rise from the dead of his own divinity but it's different than something like the assumption of mary right mary is taken into heaven by jesus's divine power right assumed up into heaven not by her power but the power of god takes her up we're somewhere in between kind of right you know it's just like we've been given this great gift of the eucharist this great gift of the holy spirit and we're ascending but we're doing so sometimes a lot of great spiritual writers talk about it. About It's sort of like rickety old wooden stairs in a way. We, we ascend in kind of a slower way, a more painful way at times. But the more we eradicate sins in our life, that staircase could kind of transform into sort of like um, a rickety wooden staircase into a golden staircase. Or like in the, in the, in the case of St. Therese of Lisieux, an elevator, <laughs> Right? this elevator of grace taking us to God. But what does that require, though? That we give everything to God, even in the smallest aspects of our life. If we could kind of learn how to integrate God into just the small little bits of life. And that's what she did. She said, I'm too small to take, I'm too small and I'm too weak to do this staircase thing. And so she's like, I need something else like an elevator. And that was kind of a, a modern technology in St. Teresa's Day, right? So that, that analogy came readily to her at the time. And so she did it in the littlest ways. One of my favorite examples I could ever remember is when she first got to the convent, there was a nun who used to clack her rosary beads against the pew. And it just drove her nuts at the beginning, just like And we all know this, right? We sit next to people in church all of the time, you know? And so sometimes people just do things that get on our nerves. And then instead she transformed that clacky wooden rosary bead noise against the pews into a prayer for that religious sister. And eventually, instead of annoying her to death, it actually became one of the most familiar and comfortable feelings for her. To hear that meant that she was home, that she was in prayer, that she was with God. It gave her another opportunity to pray for another person. So to transform all of those little things that would often pull people into sin into actual prayers. That's one of the ways we sort of integrate these things into our life. Now, of course, you know, these things are easier, easier said than done, obviously. But remember, we always have to remember, at the end of every single Mass is really the beginning Right? What do we hear at the end? The dismissal. Go and announce the gospel of the Lord. Go in peace, glorifying the Lord by your life. So at the end of a Mass is when we begin. What's the thing that Jesus is giving to his apostles in that moment? He's saying what to preach, and he taught them how to preach it. Go out there. And what does he tell? He's like, you are witnesses of these things of my life. You're witnesses of my life, friends in my company. And what are friends in the gospel? Friends are those that do what the Lord commands them, right? So there's a contingency as a part of that. And so those witnesses, and I've mentioned this numerous times before, but I just think it's that important. So I bring it up again. Remember, witnesses are more powerful than teachers. That's what St. Pope Paul Sixth had said. He says, people more readily listen to witnesses more than they listen to teachers. And when they listen to teachers, it's because they're witnesses, right? Just think about this when you're sharing a part of your story. Why are you here? That's what we're getting at, right? Why do you make the effort to make it a part of your week to come to Mass? Why do you make an effort to actually pray? What is it that the Lord has transformed in your life? And that's the thing that you're being the witness to when you go out in the world and tell that to different people. And so we have to figure out, speaking of elevators, that's what you have to do. You have to have an elevator pitch, so you've only got a minute or two, right? And then you've got to have something a little bit longer, and something a little bit longer, and then who knows, you might be out with coffee with somebody where you can sit down and really get into the nitty-gritty, the part of your story. How maybe the Lord met you in your difficulty, and your suffering, and he's the very thing that got you through a very difficult and hard life how the Lord met you in your joys. But, but how has he transformed you, and how do we describe that to other people? How are we witnesses to that, to that very reality of how he just transformed and changed our life? When you're speaking to the young, they might not listen to anything you say. <laughs> we say a lot of things. You need to go to Mass. You should do this. This is what the church says, right? All of these different things, right? But they might listen to what you lived, you ever notice how somebody's ears perk up when all of a sudden you're like, you know, when I was in high school, and it's just like all of a sudden they're like, oh, this, this sounds interesting. You know, grandma, you have me intrigued. You know, keep going, right? You know, whatever it might be. But we tell a part of our story, and then all of a sudden somebody might listen to our life, our witness, to where maybe we were astray, and then we find Christ in some way, shape, or form. But we go out and we preach that gospel. Now, was it last weekend? Yes, last weekend, we had three new deacons who were ordained for the Archdiocese of Portland. So they're transitional deacons. So transitional deacons are going to be ordained priests and God willing, a year. So three courageous young men who were ordained. And during the ordination rite, one of the things that the bishop always reminds the men, one of the parts of the ordination rite, he says, you are heralds of the gospel. One of the responsibilities of the deacon is to proclaim the gospel and also that's when he can officially preach as clergy for the church and this is one of the things that i want to leave you with that's simply said by the bishop and i have to read it because for some reason it's almost like a tongue twister and it's so hard for me to remember off the top of my head he says to them believe what you read teach what you believe practice what you teach yes christ has died yes he has risen and he will truly come again, but not without giving us the tools, the tools of the Eucharist, the Holy Spirit, and reconciliation, so that we can ascend through him, with him, and in him. God bless you all.